Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Cool, sitting here with Jason Bergman. Uh, Brigham Young University, right? That's, that's correct. How long have you been out there? One year. And how do you like it? I'm loving it. Mountains are everywhere, beautiful weather, nice, calm living. Mm-hmm. It's great. Very supportive institution. Mm-hmm. And it's my alma mater. That's where I did my undergrad. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So my teacher retired and then was fortunate enough to replace him. Um, are you the only trumpet teacher out there? I'm the, the primary trumpet teacher that's full-time, but we have um, another one. Dr. Soretta Hart is our adjunct professor. I just professor. met her Did you? at this conference. She's yeah. wonderful. She's an angel. She plays in the brass quintet with me, mm-hmm. and she's a wonderful player and teacher and great colleague. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. lucky to have her there. Um, had you taught at another institution before BYU? Yes, yes. My first teaching job was at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg. I mm-hmm. taught there for five years. And then I was the trumpet teacher at the University of North Texas for three. I replaced oh, Keith right. Johnson when he yeah. retired. And I um, loved my time at North Texas, but going back to BYU was kind of like going home. And mm-hmm. it was just the right situation for our family. So, How in the world at your age did you get the gig at, at UNT? Um, I think I was blessed, and I've worked really, really hard. <laughs> the, the timing kind of just worked. Yeah. Where did you get your doctorate? University of Michigan. With Bill Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love my time at Michigan. So, yeah, I did my undergraduate degree at Brigham Young University mm-hmm. and my master's and doctorate at Michigan. And in between those degrees, I played um, trumpet in the Santiago Philharmonic in Chile and also in several regional orchestras in Michigan after that mm-hmm. when I was doing my doctorate. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I wanted to be a college teacher, and so I worked really hard for that. That's cool. It's been a great thing, yeah. So you see uh, BYU as a, it's not a stepping stone, right? This is a, hopefully a long-term. Yeah. Well, I never thought I was going to leave North Texas. I mean, that's a, mm. you know, many would say that's a dream job. And, mm-hmm. and I'm originally from Dallas, so I was home and had just gotten tenure, you know, mm. before I left. And we were all set. But but BYU, I, yeah, it's a place where we want to be and raise our mm-hmm. kids. And um, it's not a stepping stone. It's a great place. Mm-hmm. How old are your kids? My, we have four kids. My mm-hmm. oldest one is 12. 
and they go down to six. So 12, 10, eight, and six. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Two boys and two girls. And, yeah. Yep. And, and musicians, your wife, your kids, anybody? Not really. No. Um, my wife played saxophone in high school and um, she's going to start doing, now that our kids are older and all in school, she wants to go do a graduate program in um, marriage family therapy. Yeah. And my, my oldest daughter is Which is really choir. funny, being married to a trumpet player. Yeah. It's like, is that what inspired that? Yeah, she can figure out what's wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, no, she's really talented at what she does, and she's good at, she loves people and is good at working with them and helping them and listening, and mm -hmm. I think she'll be great in that, mm -hmm. that field. Mm -hmm. um, my oldest daughter is in choir, in her school choir, mm -hmm. and my son, right after her, he plays the piano, and he had a little fling with the trumpet, but... He wants to kind of stick with piano for yeah, a while. So, cool. um, but yeah, no, we're not really forcing music on anybody. If but if they're interested, we really mm -hmm. want to support it. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I've got two younger younger boys, and uh, kind of the same deal. I mean, we're one's in violin lessons, one's in piano. Yeah, but it's not like we're we force them. I mean, they really are enjoying. Yeah, and part of it's because they've got great teachers. Yeah, that you makes know. a big difference. So, but they hear me and my wife practice, so they kind of understand that this is how things are supposed to, to go. So maybe they learned how to practice yeah, they along that way. So. Pick it up for sure. Yeah, my son that plays piano, he also plays lacrosse, so he's kind of trying lots of things. Lacrosse is a really cool sport. I didn't know anything about it, never watched it, and he has some friends that play, and he wanted to play this year, and it was awesome. We learned a lot. It's a great sport. But kind of that way with soccer, and my twelve-year-old yeah. got into it, and where I. Couldn't watch it on TV. You know, it's like watching golf. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you're a fan of golf, but... Well, I, I like... I actually like watching golf and, and soccer, but I don't know. I just, you know, finished watching all the Women's World Cup, and that yeah. was so exciting. And But once you learn the rules and strategy of the game, it's like, you know, it's, this is a lot different than yeah. just, you know, when you understand what's going on, it makes it a lot more exciting. So yeah. I've learned a lot about soccer this year, the way you've learned a lot about... Yeah, about lacrosse. Uh, lacrosse. Yeah. So. It's cool. Um it, you say it's uh, your wife loves people and she wants to help, and I'm thinking, well, isn't that what you're doing as a trumpet teacher? Yeah, it's your your therapy is just a little bit different. That's right, <laughs> but that's what it is. There are days sense. that it does feel like therapy sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we're lucky as, as I think everybody that plays the trumpet at some point has some experience teaching trumpet, and you know, people are everybody's different, including teachers. Mm -hmm. But I really. I love to watch students set goals and achieve them, and to be a small part of that um, is really fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it. I do a lot of performing all over, and that's that's really fulfilling, but what makes me even happier is when I watch my students do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I just kind of my natural mindset and who I am thrives more on watching them mm -hmm. go on and succeed. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I love teaching. It's um, it's a challenge, you know, because every student is is different, and they all have different problems. And but but yeah, it is a little bit kind of like a, a therapy thing sometimes. I never thought I would enjoy teaching as much as I do. That's great. Um, but it has also improved my own playing. Yeah. You know, because I think we're constantly reinforcing these ideals. Yes. Right, and it keeps it fresh in our own mind. Yes. As we're working on things. Yeah, I uh, I relate to that a lot. I, um, you know, this is generalizing things a little bit, but I was one of those players that didn't have major issues. I never had braces. I, I didn't have to do an embouchure change. Mm -hmm. 
um, a, a lot of things with hard work seem to kind of come more natural to me. Um, but when I first started teaching, I would look at some students and just think, how on earth are you even making that sound, like doing it the way that you're doing it? And kind of like, you know, really thinking deeply about, about the process of how you produce the sound and what you need to do right. over, you know, I've been doing it now for 10 years. And over those 10 years, um, you're, I, that's a long way of saying I get, it's made me a better player too. Yeah. You know, because I, I know better now what I'm doing when I play the trumpet and can use, have developed the vocabulary to well, describe it and I, my bingo. ears are better. Bingo. You know, the vocabulary, you're right. You, you learn how to, which is funny that I'm stumbling over the words right now. You learn how to articulate uh, things a little more clearly to students. You, yeah. Um, you know, okay, so you're in your teaching career. Ten years? Is that fair yeah. to say about ten years? Yeah. Um, have you seen much of an evolution in your teaching style? Oh, yes. Definitely. Without mm -hmm. a doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, I got my first job, my first teaching full-time teaching tenure-track position was at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, and I taught there for five years. And I went there from Michigan after having played in Chile and, and other places, and very naively kind of wanted to make Southern Miss into the Michigan Trumpet Studio. And... Um, I don't think there's anything naive about that. I think that's a great goal. Yeah. You want to make it another trumpet mecca, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you do, but then you also um, need to understand your students and what their goals are. Mm -hmm. And I think my, my initial failure was wanting them to do what I did. Like, I, you know, I would think, hey, you're going to major in music. This is the path. This is what you do. Mm -hmm. And over time, I learned I had a lot more success when I talked to them and understood exactly who they were and what they wanted to do, and then looked at it as my job to try to facilitate them going towards their goals. Right. I don't want a lot of Jason Bergman clones all over the place doing exactly what I do. <laughs> I, have, I have students that do kind of what I do, sure. lots of them, but then I have other students that do other things too, and um, the process of them learning and growing improved a lot when I tried to support their goals. Now, mm -hmm. there's also guidance and mentoring to try to like make sure they understand the full picture of whatever path they're looking at. But that's that's one way. Um, but I felt like I feel like every year my teaching has gotten more efficient. You know, I can hear problems a lot quicker and understand <laughs> how to fix them. Mm -hmm. um, but there always will be trial and error, and you know, because every student is different and they they're physically different and they they play from different areas of experience. Mm -hmm there's always a, a, a need to kind of adapt and, and find what works the best for them. At BYU, are you dealing with grads and undergrads? Yes. Not as much as I was when I was teaching at North Texas. In mm -hmm. North Texas, it was very graduate student heavy. Mm -hmm. um, at BYU, now I have one master's student, the rest are undergrads. It's, mm -hmm. You have a doctoral program? We don't. We don't. Mm -hmm. And I missed that. That was what I thought was one of my greatest strengths was working with graduate students, especially mm -hmm. doctoral students. And I, I still do a lot of that work, even though I don't have them with me at BYU. Sure. But, um, yeah, I think BYU's kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it. They're, they're uh, hopefully you can edit all my uhs out. <laughs> um, kind of the philosophy at BYU is we want to create really strong, well, 
balanced undergraduate students that are mm -hmm. ready to go to other graduate schools and then succeed. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of our alumni that have gone to the best music schools in the country and mm -hmm. they're now out in the music field doing their thing. But mm -hmm. the because it's designed that way as an undergraduate, primarily undergraduate institution, undergrads get experiences that you wouldn't get at some other schools. Mm -hmm. It's very rare for an underclassman to be playing in the the Wind Symphony at North Texas. You know, it's primarily masters and doctoral students. But at BYU, you do play in a top group. Sure. You know, and our our orchestra plays great music. I mean, in April they played Mahler's Ninth Symphony, mm. which is a major work, Absolutely. and to have an orchestra made primarily of undergrads mm -hmm. do it and do it really, really well is is awesome. So when they leave, they have experiences mm -hmm. that sometimes can be hard to get at other places. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I usually am uh, on a lot of things. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. That's I'm okay. I'm, I'm wrong funny. every day. <laughs> uh, being a Mormon school, mm -hmm. do the students have that same, is it a, a semester or half semester, like a mission that they have to complete before graduation? Yeah. And, and, so, the, and so the follow up on that would be music students as well. Yeah, you're not incorrect. Yeah, BYU is sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that mm -hmm. we commonly have been known as Mormons. Sure. And um, it's an option for students, male and female, when they turn 18 or 19, that they can go on a two-year mission. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily one semester. It's okay. two years. Two years. Yeah. Wow. And most of the students there do choose to go do that. I, I did that. When I was 19, I mm -hmm. went on a mission to Brazil for two years. Mm -hmm. And in those two years, didn't really play my trumpet because um, I was busy See, doing See, and that. that's what I'm getting at is like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine... I was thinking a semester, yeah. but two years, setting your horn aside. But you know what? Taking three weeks off and taking two years off is almost the same thing. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but... I get what you're after there. But yeah. you, when you come back, there are things that are different. I mean, obviously your, your muscles and everything, your, your chops are out of shape. But with a little bit of like really specific work, you can come back pretty quick and get in shape you know, mm -hmm. fairly easily, probably within a month to six weeks for most people. And that's true the older you get. I've been, uh, I've noticed that I've been able to take a few more days off right. from time to time and come back without much of an issue. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's only because you know, you know how to doing. be efficient when, when you do come back and yeah. how to make it work. The advantage of them coming back that they have is that they've been two years living as, you know, full-fledged adults in the world, mm -hmm. dealing with other grown you know, adults, and they know how to work and set goals. And so when they come back, they're hard workers and they're dedicated and committed and they're ready to move on with their lives. And, and so, um, I found that with working with most of them, they're, they're the ideal kind of student because they're more mature. So this happens more at the beginning of their college career than at the back end of it, right? That's correct. Oh. Yeah. So recently, a, a few years ago, the age limit was changed and it was lowered. So, so men can go when they're 18. So we have some that graduate high school, you know, and in that senior year, they apply for school, they get in, but then we don't see them for two years. Right. So it's kind of a juggling act from my perspective as I'm recruiting kids. <laughs> and a lot of those kids I'm not going to see for two years. Um, but some do come for a year and then mm -hmm. go. It kind of depends on where their birthday's at and what's best for them in their life. And they could, they could wait longer if they wanted to. Do you have to be part of the faith to attend there? Um, no. The vast majority of our students are members of the church, but... We have two students right now in our trumpet studio that are not, mm -hmm. and you kind of have to, you know, I'm really clear with them to make sure they know what they're getting into when they come, but they, they're they thriving. 
mm-hmm. there and, and really mm-hmm. enjoying it. But yeah, the vast majority are, so you have to be prepared for that. Sure. But it's a it's a great place. I mean, our our campus is consistently ranked as the stone cold sober university in the country. So there's not intense amounts of partying of that kind that happens. So it's a safe, good, clean place to be. The How campus many Starbucks is are there on campus? There's none. <laughs> no Starbucks. I only know that because I've got a really good friend who's uh, also, and I, w- I won't say Mormon, uh, Latter Day Saint, and uh, he was telling me, you know, Diet Coke. Yeah. And he, he survives on Diet Coke. Yep. Because you can't have coffee or tea, right? Anyway. Yeah, we don't drink coffee or tea, but you can have you can have Coke yeah. and Dr. Pepper and yeah. but we did <laughs> the, we actually got the word that I think this next year they're gonna actually put a Starbucks in Provo near our campus. So decaf only. Yeah. <laughs> well, well we'll see. You know, there are lots of people yeah. in Utah that are, are not members of the faith and so coffee business is great. Yeah. And, but it, you know, you think of Starbucks as everywhere on the earth, but there has never been one in Provo, and there will be now. So. I saw a picture of uh, when the Mars rover landed. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a picture of a Walmart and a Starbucks. <laughs> you talk about them being everywhere. That's it's right. like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're already scoping yeah. out plots on Mars. So I, I'm thinking about Utah. I met at the uh, International Horn Symposium last year. I don't know if it's a Horn Symposium. Basically, the Horn version of our conference. Right, right. Uh, playing Alphorn. Oh, yeah. And she lives... Sonia Reynolds. I bet that's her. Yeah. But she said uh, to be able to go out, and she's talking about the mountains and the beauty of everything, to go out with her Alphorn. And, you know, she compared it to the Alps, of course, you know, just being able to go out and play and just to hear the sound resonate over all that you're seeing that is just, you know, exquisite beauty out there. Utah's a beautiful state. And, you know, where we live, the campus is right at the bottom of a mountain, and everywhere you go, you see the mountains all the time. And within five or ten minutes, you can be hiking and just in nature. And it's, mm. it's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. So do you guys live close to campus or up in uh, We live a little mountains? bit north, about 20 minutes north. Mm-hmm. And we're right by the mountains. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's great. Very mm-hmm. f- safe, family-friendly kind of mm-hmm. community there. It's yeah. great. Let's talk about your playing a little bit. Sure. Um, You've, from what I've heard so far, you've done some orchestral work, uh, more than just Chile. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's start there. Tell me about uh, your experience down there. Yeah, so um, when I was doing my master's degree at the University of Michigan, one summer I played in the Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara, which is, if there's a perfect place on earth, it's probably Santa Barbara. <laughs> and and that's that music festival kind of changed my life. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I was taking lots of, orchestral auditions and, and saw an audition for Chile. And so I auditioned and won the spot and we went down and my first week, my trial week, I guess, was playing principal and Mahler two. And <laughs> wow. Welcome went, to the symphony. Right? Yeah, it was awesome. That's my favorite piece of, yeah. of all time. Yeah. And getting to play it there, you know, three times that week was just Ugh. awesome. Dream come true. And I loved it. And the orchestra was this uh, really international cornucopia you know, a gumbo of countries, a lot of European players, South American players, and some American players. And it was awesome in the repertoire that we did. It was more of a European model of an orchestra. So we would do symphony orchestra concerts, and then the next week would be a, a, a series of, of an opera and then a and ballet, mm. and you kind of rotated through everything. So in the first few months, you know, we had Mahler two, and then we did... Um, Umbalo and Mascada, which is a Verdi opera. And then we did Rite of Spring with the ballet, you know, like 13 performances of, of Rite of Spring. And then we had this 
an Italian conductor came and we did, you know, the three Respighi tone poems mm. in concert. And then it was uh, Bluebeard's Castle by Bartok. And so you're playing all this rep that you dream about in the original context of it. And it was great to be able to have the opportunity to play all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and we loved it down there. It was awesome. San Santiago was a great place. and um, It's all good. There's all the ambient noises you could care for here. Yeah, it was it was just really wonderful there. But it, it was kind of the right job at the wrong time and wrong place. And so, meaning like we loved it and it was great, but my wife... So got, you were already married at this point. I was married, yeah. And, but my wife got pregnant and we didn't really want to stay there forever. And so we did, chose to come back and I knew that I really wanted to teach. So we, we came mm -hmm. back after that and I did my doctorate at Michigan. and No more um, orchestra auditions at that point? Or? No, I, took, I kept taking them, but I was, you know, really wanting to do this. But I, I played in the Ann Arbor Symphony um, while I was there and mm -hmm. the Saginaw Bay Symphony. And um, those are regional orchestras. They're really strong. Sure. And then when I got the job in, in Mississippi, I auditioned and became principal trump of the Mobile Symphony, which is a really strong orchestra down in the south and played there all those years that I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to, to North Texas, I played regularly with the Dallas Opera. I was kind of their third trumpet for those years mm -hmm. I was there and was blessed to play a lot with the Dallas Winds and the Fort Worth Symphony and the Dallas Symphony. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I, as I've been teaching, I've had lots of solo performance things all over the world mm -hmm. and teaching at festivals and recital tours and things. So kind of gotten a little bit of everything that, that you can do. And mm -hmm. um, all those experiences have really helped me to grow and become a, a better player. And um, yeah. It's, you, you enjoy doing the solo solo work? That's uh, yes and no. I I, uh, I feel most comfortable playing in an orchestra mm -hmm. in the back, and I love chamber music. That's great. When you're a soloist, I think you have to have the right kind of like uh, daredevil mentality, you know, in your in your head. And so, I feel like playing as a soloist has forced forced me and helped me to grow more and mm -hmm. um, on the mental side of of things. Mm -hmm. And I've done more of that recently, and it's been a, um, it's been good for me to help me grow. Mm -hmm. But I, I can't say that I love it, but I like it because it challenges me. Mm -hmm. And you get to play beautiful music. One of the, the most, um, I think, positive and meaningful experiences as a soloist was this last spring. Um, when I came to BYU, our, our director said, hey, in May... The following year, so this May that just passed in 2019, mm -hmm. um, he took the band to Texas on a like a, four, a, a week and a half long tour mm -hmm. and played. And he wanted me to come as a soloist. And, mm -hmm. and he asked, you know, what would you want to play? And I said, I really want to play Jim Stevenson's Concerto Number no. Three, which is the Concerto for Hope that he wrote for Ryan oh, Anthony. Right. Right. And I I grew close to Ryan in my time in Dallas. And oh, of course. And and even back when I was at Music Academy of the West, he came with Canadian Brass and worked with mm -hmm. us. And um, I've always looked up to him, but really since um, everything he's gone through the last six or seven years with his own cancer fight and coming up with that piece, it's just really emotional. And hearing Ryan play it, I've heard him play it three or four times, and I, I really wanted to get a chance to play it and kind of spread the mm -hmm. word about Cancer mm -hmm. Blows and about Ryan and his his great example. And um, when I kind of got the blessing from Jim Stevenson and Ryan to play it, we did that on the tour. Mm -hmm. And, you know, playing that piece eight times, you know, in different places helped mm -hmm. me as a soloist and to grow. And But then to get to, like, play a piece that was so meaningful was really, 
was really, really touching. There was an experience that we had when we were in Houston, I believe it was Houston, that we, it was Dallas, I'm sorry. We played it in Dallas three times. And on one of those nights, um, somebody came up to me after the concert and said, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, my college roommate just di- was diagnosed with multiple myeloma recently, which is the same cancer that Ryan has. And he said, last night he died. And I've been feeling so hard in my heart and so, like just really struggling. And then when you came out, that sa- like basically the same day, and you played this piece and shared what Ryan was going through, he said, I just kind of felt like it was an answer to my prayers, and it really strengthened my, my heart. And um, it was one of those experiences where, you know, we all hope to have those kind of experiences with music, right? It's not about me or the music or anything. It's just that the whole thing is about hope, really. Mm-hmm. And that piece is all about hope. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, that was one of the the experience of go- learning that piece and then performing it all those times really like helped me achieve goals as a performer to make mm-hmm. me grow, but mm-hmm. to kind of get out of my head. It wasn't about me and trying to be better as a trumpet player is about a bigger message. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really positive experience that I've had. Um, I like Stevenson's writing. I do too. Well, and it's, you notice he's a trumpet player because everything lays really well on the trumpet. Yeah. Uh, except when he also you knows at, what's really hard for the yeah, trumpet. Yeah, I was going to say, unless you look at Rex Dream, you know, and, and those, of course, those are written specifically for Rex, but uh, does, I don't know the Concerto for Hope all that well. Does it have some of those same? No. Ridiculous demands? No, I think it's the most, um, I want this to come across the right way, but I think it's the most playable by more people, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I mean, it still is challenging, and there are range, you know, extremes and some technical things, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot more approachable I felt for me mm-hmm. there's I could never play the Rick stream concerto oh it's you know, ridiculous and, and I, I, could, I couldn't even really play his first one it's so so challenging but mm-hmm. it's great you know Jim is just a wonderful person yeah and that shows through in his music yeah and his music all has a story and it's connected to the people he writes it for and mm-hmm. um, I've you know been playing his music I remember since 2007 and I've patted on some of my recordings and Almost every concert I play, there's a Jim Stevenson piece, and so I'm one of his biggest fans. Oh my gosh, I just remembered. We did uh, Fanfare for an Angel. Yes. Uh, trumpet Quartet. Yeah. Actually, I, uh, one of my former students, and let me tell you, I'm old enough now where I've actually played and attended uh, weddings for several of my students. That's awesome. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, I have been around <laughs> a while now. We, but it's great. Um, but I was asked to play for one of my students, and he wanted, uh, it was trumpet and organ. We oh, did that yeah. version. And as I was looking up, uh, I wanted to listen to it. I found the one where Ryan and mm-hmm. was it Mike Sachs and yeah. Chris Martin and, oh, forgive me, whoever's on fourth part. Uh, anyways, just, it was a great piece of music. Yeah. But uh, he knows how to write I think he knows how to write a great tune. Yeah, he does. You know, it's not just you can write the hard stuff. You write a tune. Um, and, you know, I think that's another one of Ryan's strong points as a player. Uh, came across a video recently of him doing, is it You'll Never Walk Alone? Someone to Watch Over Me? No, I uh, no, I think it's... You'll Never Walk Alone. I think. Yeah, okay. Not a difficult piece, right. technically, but just the ability to sing. Yeah. It's like... You know, I get chills every time I watch it. You know, it's like, um, and you know, boy, talk about Ryan. 
I know this isn't interviews about you, but no, I mean, I'd but, love to talk about. Ryan. But he's a part of all of us, yes. especially at this point, right? I mean, it's yeah. the way he's affected the trumpet world in such a positive way, in such a horrible, uh, because of such a horrible disease, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I talk to Ronnie Rom, and you know, Ronnie's a cancer survivor, and I'm a cancer survivor, and so many other people who uh, have cancer or have survived, you know, Ryan's or people who are enduring the same thing as him. I mean, he's helped raise awareness, obviously, which is what Cancer Blows yeah. is about. Um, you know, I, you, not that you want to say somebody suffers for, but there's a good thing that comes out of it. But there's an awful lot of good that has come out of come out of this. And yeah. and the post that he put a week or so ago, where the doctor, uh, what was it? They they've actually found now a drug. Yeah that can help fight this. Yeah. And Ryan's been around long enough to, to see this. Yeah. Man. It's powerful, isn't it? Was it? Very, I'm, yeah, I'm starting to get a little oh, yeah. choked up about that because you think, you know, I lost my dad to cancer. It's like, oh, you know, it wasn't multiple myeloma, but still. Uh, wow. You know, the ability of music to speak, uh, but just the community. I'm, now I'm thinking about the community of trumpet players, which is, Kind of what ITG is. Yeah. And yes, there's that guy that tries to find the double high A on every freaking yeah. trumpet at the conference. Just heard him in the exhibit hall 20 <laughs> minutes ago, yeah. Um, but then there's also conversations like this that we're having. And, yeah. you know, conversations off mic that I've had this week, too. And, man, it's a, it's a great community to be, to be a part of. Yeah. And, you know, for the, the stereotype that we get as the egotistical trumpet player, yeah. I think we're all pretty pretty well grounded yeah yeah i agree you know last yet yesterday at the itg here in miami um barbara butler and chris martin had a recital <laughs> yeah, it was really good <laughs> yeah it was wonderful and and i was fortunate enough to have the chance to talk with them after a little bit later that night and barbara was you know we were talking about how she did and i thought she played so well and um she said she started to say you know you get up in front of a thing of trumpet players Right, and and it can be daunting because people, yes. especially if you play music they're familiar with, they know the notes and they know what you miss. And and then I said, but couldn't there be? There can't be any more supportive of an audience. And I felt like at the at their performance, I mean, they played so well, but you could just feel this overwhelming power from the audience of just saying, "We're rooting for you. We're cheering you on. Right. We want you to succeed." And right. and and she, you know, she commented about how she felt that and. Um, you know, trumpet players get a bad rap from stereotypes, but they're overall as a group are good people. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now back to the interview. Were you at the European or All Stars yeah, last night? Yeah. So, all the trumpet players, uh, fantastic. Uh, and Andrea, you know, for all his high notes, I don't remember the guy's name on the center stage on the mm -hmm. inside, uh, but he was laying down some stuff that was, and he started to struggle. But I know I, I kind of felt like everybody else in that room was like, "We're right there with you, man. Yeah, we've been there. Every one of us have been there." You know, and nobody's like, hey, hey. Everybody's like, come on, man. 
Yeah. We got you. You know, yeah. and it's, and maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being naive when I, when I think that, but I think that's probably pretty accurate. Everybody's up there rooting for you. Rooting yeah. For you. Yeah. I'm sure there are some knuckleheads out there, but the vast majority. Yeah. Fine. Whatever. If, if you have played before, you understand how the guts that it takes <laughs> to get up in front of people and play <laughs> and then to do it at that, that high level is daunting. And so everybody is cheering you on. And then when, and then if somebody does have an unfortunate mistake or something, we understand and we've been there and it's, and so what? So what? Right. And how were the other, uh, 10,000 notes that I played? They were, yeah. Can we talk about those a little bit? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty. And, and that's one amazing. reason I was asking you how you like doing the solo work. Cause you really are kind of under, under a microscope. Yeah. When you do that, you know, like you say, you enjoy sitting at the back of the orchestra. I do too. Yeah. Not that it's safer, but there's security in numbers sure, sure. <laughs> back there. Yeah. I mean, it can be scary in the back too, but, um, yeah. So it, it kind of, we've, I'm, I'm performing tomorrow night. Grant Peters and I are playing a quiet city on this orchestra concert and Grant's playing the English horn part on flugelhorn. Very cool. Yeah. And this whole thing is kind of last minute They're They're opened up a spot on this concert and the, the conference director, JC mm -hmm. contacted Grant about playing on there and they came up with the idea of having Grant and I play because Grant will become, he's the vice president right. right now of ITG and he'll be president and then I'm going to be his vice president. Oh, and so they, cool. they I didn't know that. Yeah, that's kind of, that just, that election just happened and so they thought, why don't we have you guys play a duet and it'll be the next two ITG presidents mm -hmm. and so Grant called me and said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, sure, it'd be an honor to play with you and, and to play and then we realized that it's the concert that has Sergei Nakaryakov. <laughs> We're playing right before him. <laughs> And, you know, Daniel Crespo and Matilda Lloyd and, yeah, right. and Amy McCabe, all these people that I just think are just superheroes in the trumpet, right. every one of them. And right. then, I, and, you know, I, I start to have these thoughts of, you know, I don't belong on that stage with them. And right in front of Nakarikov, who I've been listening to him since I was like 12 years old. Right. And he's just, you know, in that trumpet royalty. He's on Mount Rushmore, you know, right. <laughs> and not even the Russian Mount Rushmore, just like, you know, yeah. of trumpet. Yeah. And. So then I thought, man, you know, so you start to get in your head a little bit and then, but you have to kind of flip it and think that, you know, what an opportunity and what a blessing to even just be in the room to hear those guys and those men and women play. Mm -hmm. And we, we had a rehearsal yesterday and we, I was looking at Grant and we just said, you know what, let's just go have fun, do our best. And, and it's been a positive experience getting ready for this concert. We'll see how it goes tomorrow. Nice. But I'm hoping that, that the, my philosophy of, trumpet players supporting others happens tomorrow when when we get up there in front of people but with piano or orchestra it's with strings oh sweet yeah it's gonna be neat very sweet i hope yeah <laughs> well i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah i was already planning to come to that concert so i'll i'll we'll be, be there speaking. go jason thanks man that's good <laughs> you know there's always that one person out there who applauds and you're like thanks mom <laughs> <laughs> we could use a lot of them we tomorrow. could use them yeah well i'm sure that'll be there yeah well thanks um and, you know, it, I'm thinking about uh, prelude ensembles. Mm -hmm. um, they've been getting a lot of love. Yeah. You know, that's good. And there's some really fine uh, players. I won't even say younger players because some of these groups have some seasoned talent yeah. in there, too. Yeah, you're right. But uh, it's, that's a nice, uh, a nice thing about ITG is the opportunity for them to, mm -hmm. to get to perform, too. I brought my own group to Hershey a couple oh, yeah. Great. years ago. and. Great experience. We'll hope to do it in Columbus again. Yeah, awesome. Next year. So, yeah. 
So, all right, that, I had no idea your involvement with ITG, so please forgive me on that. So, okay. uh, obviously, you care very deeply about the activity and the I organization. Yeah. And uh, what led you to get involved with, with ITG like this? I remember when I was a beginner on the trumpet, 11 or 12 years old, and my trumpet teacher gave me an ITG journal. And I, at that point, when I was a beginner, your trumpet player, I had no idea about anything. I just knew who Doc Severinsen was and who Wynton Marsalis was. And I wanted to be like those guys. And um, I started reading the ITG journal and read things about trumpet players in, in Russia mm. and saw all these really awesome ads for this trumpet stuff that I didn't even know was out there. Right. And so I started to kind of get hooked on it. And I remember joining as a teenager, the ITG. <laughs> and um, then later when I was in college, you know, I, I did the orchestral excerpt competition and oh my gosh yeah well and, pause there for a second how'd sure. that turn out um it was I, I got second place and at the time i was all worried about placement but that doing that really helped me become better you know and i, I mean the judges were it was manny loriano and um charlie schluter and steve chanette i think was the third judge and getting to play for them was an honor you know they're, they're these well respected yeah you know heroes of our instrument i went to that that session last year in san antonio mm -hmm. room was packed yeah in fact if the fire marshal had known how many people were in there there would have been, <laughs> right. been some issues but i thought how could we get any more uh abnormal an atmosphere for an orchestra audition than somebody walking in in front of not just three judges but you know 150 yeah. guys sitting Four right feet away from you. Yes. And I thought those the three guys played brilliantly, especially, and not to take away, but especially under those circumstances. Yeah. So, I mean, you've experienced that. You yeah. were that guy yeah. in that situation, right? I remember when I walked in the room, I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is, I felt so much pressure. But then so honored to be at an ITG conference. Mm -hmm. you know, How old were you at this point? I was, it was my first year of my master's degree, so I was a little mm -hmm. bit older. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my first ITG and I just remember it was amazing. I went to every session. You know, Chris Martin did a recital. That was Jim Stevenson. They did a whole performance of all of his music. That's where I met him. Mm -hmm. um, I just I was hooked. And so when it became time, when I got older and had been teaching him, I was bringing students to ITG conferences. Mm -hmm. I really hoped that someday I could give back because from that very first time I got it when I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. you know, through going through the competition, um, I felt like the ITG, the recordings, the journals, I mean, everything just was impactful and made mm -hmm. a difference on mm -hmm. me. And so uh, four years ago, I was fortunate enough to get elected to the board. And that, that's been a great opportunity to learn about the, that side of things, the administrative side of, mm -hmm. of the guild, and trying to become involved with, with projects that are meaningful. And we have to be looking forward to what the future of ITG looks like. Mm -hmm. There's been, you know, this is the 44th year of ITG. And there have been these, you know, leaders in the ITG, men and women who have set it up. And, but there's, there needs to be a new future for ITG. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting to be there at a time where there are younger people like me that are in their, you know, low 40s, upper 30s that are starting to have these opportunities to serve. And it's an opportunity to give back and try to... And, to take what, what is already there and, and mm -hmm. grow with it. And mm -hmm. so anyway, after being on the board and then now going into this new role in the coming year um, as the vice president, um, 
I'm excited about it. I'm at this conference. I've been trying to talk to as many people as I can to hear about what they like and what they don't like mm -hmm. about ITG and how we can make it better. And I think we need to think about the international members of ITG and how we can make it more accessible to them. Mm -hmm. I think we, we were looking at regional conferences. We had one in Oklahoma City in 2018, and we have a, we're looking into the future for other regional conferences and maybe taking that model Well, I've, I've wanted to host, I talked to Kathy about this, you know, I've hosted a couple of conferences and, you know, I would love, Indianapolis would be a great place to have you know, so I'm, I'm like the chair of that committee with Michael Anderson. Ooh, then we're going to need the to regional, talk. Well, let's stay in touch about it. Because <laughs> yeah. we're in the, we're going to, you know, th this is not necessarily secret. It's going to top at our general membership meeting this afternoon. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about how we're formalizing policies and we're going to start to solicit hosts, mm -hmm. to, you know, for an event. So mm -hmm. let's, let's definitely talk about that. Mm -hmm. But it's a, we need to find more ITG events to bring to people besides the main conference. Mm -hmm. You know, and well, and that came up. I went to the affiliate chapter uh, meeting yesterday morning, and you know that's another thing uh, about uh, the zones. And you know the the I don't know why mothership came to my mind, but you know this conference is the mothership of things. But we need to have yeah the the university chapters and the state chapters and regional and whatever zone you want to break it into. I think. If it happens once a year, how mm -hmm. often does it stay at the front of your right. mind? You know, the right. more often there are events going on, it's the more often it's part of a normal part of your life. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, I, I think in that regard, I think the affiliate chapters can really help yep. build membership and interest. Um, it kind of leaves beside, though, that doesn't address how do you bring the, the older members along, right? The come, what they call the comeback players and that sort of thing. Um, Unless the affiliate chapters include them, yeah, you know, not they, just a university students, but actually, let's get the community in here too. Yeah, I think that they should be thinking that way, because mm -hmm. most of those members, the the non pro, the yeah, that group, is, I would say the backbone of the ITG. They're the majority of the members mm -hmm. in some respects. You know, people that have gone on to have other careers outside of music, mm -hmm. but still, the trumpet is an important part of their life and. Mm -hmm. I think I really feel over the last five and six years, there's been we've created more and more events for them at ITG that are specifically with that mm -hmm. group. And that the non-pro players are really active. They have their own trumpet ensemble. They have their own <laughs> sessions. Mm -hmm. They have a great committee that that works really really hard. And yeah, you're right. These state and university affiliate chapters need to mm -hmm. incorporate them. Mm -hmm. You know. So anyway, we don't want to forget anybody. No, right? we want. I, my goal would be that anybody that wants to be a part of ITG can immediately feel welcome and that there's a place for them because mm -hmm. there really, really is. And we as ITG members need to make sure that new people that show up that you don't know, those are the people you want to focus on when you're at a conference or an event or you know, make sure they all feel like they're a part of it because there is a place for everybody in ITG. See, you're already elected to vice president. You don't have to really campaign the way you're doing it. But that's how I feel. But, well, and that's great. And, and, <laughs> I'm, and I'm trying to be funny. I'm not trivializing sure. that at all. Uh, you know, to me, all of a sudden, this is very exciting. I've respected every president we've had. I've known some. I've yeah. not known others. You know, I, I right. met Kim Dunnick for the first time today, you know, and I yeah. know as involved as, as he's been. Yeah. Uh, Vinny was my first teacher. Vinny's been involved. Uh, he's been a president twice, I believe. Yeah, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> overachiever in, in every regard. <laughs> he, may, he makes us all look bad. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, but I think there has to be the Jason Bergmans that come along, you know, who haven't been part of the establishment for a long time that are 
Yeah. Not that we need a breath of fresh air, but yeah, maybe we do. Yeah. Maybe we do. So, but anyways, congrats on being part of the board. Congrats Thanks. on VP. Thank you. Uh, and that comes with a huge pay bump, right? Yeah. Zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's fulfilling when you try to work with others and, uh, you know, to make something happen and then you see people doing it and having a great time. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know how much work this is going to cause right, or create for yourself, right? Yeah, I think I, I'm learning. <laughs> I mean, there was there was an increase in work on the board, and yeah. then I was asked to chair the the conference artist committee for the 2020 conference mm-hmm. in Columbus. So, getting to work with that group of people to select the artists and presenters was was good, and that's going to be an awesome conference, mm-hmm. I think. And so, but th- but now, yeah, it's gonna there's going to be more, and that's okay. Right. It's awesome. Uh. I was always going to, it's going to be a job interview. It's going to sound, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? I, I'm not really asking that question. I'm just, uh, I feel like we were headed that direction. So are you a people person? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like all those cliche questions. And obviously you are. Uh, so this is cool, man. And I, like I say that my first introduction to you was uh, The Adventures Of, awesome. which was played spectacularly. Thank you. Um, was that in one take? <laughs> no, that it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to remember. And you did it on sea trumpet. Yeah, I did it on sea trumpet. I remember trying to play along the first time. I was like, oh wait, yeah, yeah, okay, you transposed it. Yeah, or, or did you, it or as it was on sea trumpet. Yeah, right. Yeah, when that was, um, yeah, getting ready for that CD, we had a couple minutes, and on my first CD, I recorded Centennial Horizon by Kevin McKee, mm-hmm. and that was the his, the piece of his that I fell in love with. And since then, I played every piece he's written for trumpet and all of his quintets mm-hmm. and recorded Song for a Friend. I was part of that commission. And there was, a, there was some space on that, that CD, The Lightning Fields, um, for a three to four minute piece. And so I asked Kevin if he'd write an unaccompanied one. And mm-hmm. he did. And that piece was, came around. It's pretty fun. And Wait, so that was the piece? Yeah. Oh, that you had? Oh, I didn't realize that yeah, connection. So, so I commissioned it for, for that CD. Okay. And, and I love that, you know, I, I, people all the time tell me that they've got students or they've, mm-hmm. they've played it. And I, I wanted a piece that was an unaccompanied piece that was, you know, playable by lots of people, but had kind of a melody or some kind of story. And, and I think it... Have you done the one-man blues band? I, I bought it. I've played it, yeah. Yeah. So I've done that for uh, master classes. It's you know? fun. Or, or school, not master school shows, you know. Sure. You go out and you talk trumpet and it's... It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Again, good writing. I'm gonna. I'm doing a new CD actually in August. I'm recording, and Kevin is wrote a new arrangement of Amazing Grace. It's his first time he was arranged a piece, mm-hmm. and so the, this CD is going to be songs like Amazing Grace. It's not so much like my other two CDs, which are more like new music for trumpet, piano. Mm-hmm. This one is all songs and, and hymns and things like that. Mm-hmm. And. Um, this amazing grace that he's done is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Just got mm-hmm. it a few weeks ago, and it's beautiful. So, I mean, I, I love Kevin's music. Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening to this, go find Kevin McKee's music and yeah. play it. Because yeah. their audiences love it, and you feel fulfilled playing it. Yeah. Anyway, cool. I don't mean to be a Kevin McKee and James no, Stevenson infomercial, yeah. but yeah. but they're good friends and <laughs> wonderful composers. I have to make sure they get royalties from this. Yeah. Uh, That's good. If people <laughs> buy their music, that would be awesome. Yeah. So any sage advice you'd like to uh, share, you know? Um, 
I don't know if I have advice, but I would just say if you're a trumpet player, always be a good person and be kind. Let's end those stereotypes about egomaniacs. And um, I, I think it's possible for other people to succeed and to accomplish <laughs> things without diminishing your worth or, you know, your qualities. And so right. my goal is to help other people feel uplifted. You know, That's I, awesome. I want to try to be that way. So mm -hmm. if more trumpet players strive to do that, I think the trumpet community will just continue to be yeah, a good place. Sweet. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for thank you. giving me some time this afternoon and yeah. uh, had a great time hearing about everything. And um, maybe someday I'll visit BYU and doors always open, you know, and uh, is it Sonia? And maybe I'll do yeah. some Alphorn <laughs> playing out there too. But uh, best wishes for everything thanks. coming up Likewise. with ITG and BYU. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Awesome. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.